You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Down at nine, Winston in trouble, wrapped up, down he goes. O'Shane Simonis. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Uh, grump, how's it going? Getting ready for Christmas. Uh, on the island of delusional fans we've been living on and just the aggravation that we have to deal with, not only with a football team that's, you know, is what it is, whether people like it or not, you know, and is injured, whether people want to accept it or not. But I don't know. Dealing with this fan base right now is not a very easy thing because people is expectations and big blue colored glasses are completely distorting what they're seeing and what they want to see. And I'm, I'm a little aggravated today. So we're going to get into a lot of topics. And also I'm still pissed off about Saturday losing to Bama and all the nonsense in college football. So I'm not in a very good mood today, Grump. Well, I don't know what you'd expect. I mean, this is, this was a game and by you, I mean everyone, I don't know what you'd expect from this. This is a game where starting quarterbacks, not playing, your offensive coordinator's not calling plays. Whether you like him or not, you know, it's the continuity. It's, it's the guy who designed the, the, the offense is not the one calling the plays. Uh, you know, linebacker's coach leaves in the middle of the week, towards the end of the week. Um, you know, you, you starting by the way, probably by the, way, the best player on the whole team. I've never liked that bitch. I didn't like him at Arkansas, and fuck him. Yeah, I think, I think when he was hired, we had a whole 20-minute yes. thing on him. Yeah. He was a smart ass when he was there. He was awful at Arkansas. Just a, he's just a wise ass. So we'll see how long. I thought he was pretty good when he was in Wisconsin, but I could be. You know, that, that's going back a number of years now. Yeah, he was god awful when he was head coach there. Of course, he beat us in you know during the McElwain era. But he he was a, but he was too much of a smart ass for having no results. And you know, screw him. Um, regardless, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy who's going from head coach of a of any program to a position coach is such a a leap down that he either had to be you know just a pathetic coach or you knew he was going to be gone and you know he didn't even take the position right away he he was already you know yeah. still kind of interviewing for college jobs so that was expected but you know once once you become a head coach you always think you're a head coach and you may be the greatest coordinator of all time you're always – I mean look at guys. We've seen it in this league. We've seen the uh, – uh, who the fuck was that guy with, with Washington? And, and We've seen the Norv Turners. We've seen the Wade Phillips. We've seen these guys that – they've been on nine different teams and they've been nine great defensive or offensive coordinators. They become a head coach. They suck. They get fired. They get another coordinator job and they're there until some other team – Wants him to be a head coach, and that's the risk you take. You know, when when you hire these guys, you know it was, you know it was great to bring in head coaches to give Joe Judge, you know his legs to become a head coach. But these guys are going to leave, and that's that's the fact. These they're buying their time, so I, mean, I don't blame Greg, them. But Greg Williams, I don't think has ever been a head coach, and he he tells us every year that he has three or four head coaching jobs waiting for him. He's a fuck stain, that guy, though. I mean, I, seriously, who the hell would hire that guy? I don't understand how he's not – like like he continues to get jobs. I understand that he's a pretty decent defensive coordinator, but what a piece of shit. How, how much evidence do we need that this man is an asshole? I mean – Yeah. 
And then not only that, but every team that hires him is in the gutter like a year after they hire him anyway. Well, they just like some, you know, they like the headlines. They like the, some people like that attitude of like, this team needs toughening up. This team needs, you know, and, you know, he's just a piece of garbage. You know, something he'll be hired again in this league. for something. I, I, I 100% believe it. Um, but in any case, you know, your linebackers coach is gone. Your number one corner, probably objectively the best player on defense, probably top five player on the entire team, maybe top three. He's not playing because of uh, a possible uh, exposure to, to COVID-19. Um, and on top of that, it's family Christmas week, family Christmas party week. So we, it's it's an annual loss. Um, oh, yeah. For, it's, it's for, for reference, games that landed on this week for us throughout the years was the second miracle of the Meadowlands. Um, in the 2011 uh, Super Bowl run, it was a flop game against Washington where Hakeem, Hakeem Nix was dropping everything thrown to him. I don't know if you remember the, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the I, Josh I, Norman after, game? Yeah. At, yes, that's right. The Josh Norman Beckham game. Um, what other ones? I don't know that we've seen any more than one win. Maybe 2016 we saw a win. Yeah, and we've been going to this family party for – I've been going for 40 years. Yeah, It's, <laughs> so, it's, it's a loss every year. We're 1-39 so. in, in that weekend. On the, Even the last in seasons we win. Even in seasons with great records we lose. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't know what everyone expected. In fact, I know you all. <laughs> I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter. No one expected a win, and then as soon as the loss happens, it's – it's just evidence that this team is headed in the wrong direction, man. And we yeah. screwed up five years ago when Fire, we did X, Y, and we fired Sell Tom Coughlin team. instead of Jerry Reese and Mark Ross and everything went wrong since – look, guys, leave the past where it's at, all right? Just leave it where it's at. We can debate 2018 and whether or not we truly started a rebuild or we didn't. The truth is is that we half-assed it. We half did something and half didn't do something. And if you want to start calling a rebuild from there, that's fine. But you got to give a little extra time because we didn't jump full into it. Now, maybe that's Dave Gettleman's fault. I don't know. Maybe it's Mara's fault. Maybe they both agreed. But either way, that was the mistake. That mistake happened a couple years ago. I look at the last two years and I see team getting better. I'm not saying we should keep or get rid of anyone. What I'm saying is that going into this game, I knew had no indication whatsoever the results of this game on on where this organization is and where it's headed. Uh, I, I Somebody named Matt on, on Twitter did say that um, it's an indication it, – he, he said that everything was fair except that it's an indication that this team doesn't have depth. And that's absolutely true. But you know what? That's also absolutely true of every team that's rebuilding. No no yeah. team that's rebuilding is ever – and by the way, that's that's a very smart thing that he said. Um, it's a very observant thing. I'm, that's not. I'm not about to trash him, but I'm. I'm illuminating on what he is saying. Yes, he's right. He's absolutely right. Um, but that's what happens. Rebuilding teams, they get depth last. You know, you get you get your starters, and you got to keep building that talent. And when you do that, the drop off between your starters and your backups is dreadful. And let's not remember. Let, let's not forget that we are. Uh, our cornerback two is three cornerbacks deep because DeAndre Baker was unexpected, Sam Beal was unexpected, and now we're in this mess of Corey Ballantyne slash Isaac Yadam slash Ryan Lewis where we're scraping together anything we could find. Yadam has kind of stuck, but he's our corner two, and now he was corner one this week, 
We moved to safety to corner against a team that's throwing like crazy. I mean, this was a 300-yard game from Baker Mayfield. Is it was it 300 or was it more? I think it was more. No, it was it was 300 yards. 300-yard game from Baker Mayfield. That's kind of light based on what I was expecting. Sure. Just, just saying, you know, I I thought that would be worse. Um but it was bad. This was a bad game. Losing 20-6, to also, six, there wasn't a whole lot to be happy about. You also have to worry about a defense, too. This can be on the field all day because we don't have our starting quarterback. 100%. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we don't have our the best player on the team playing. You know, We, we have a, an, off, an offensive line that last week was absolutely shredded, and because it's a bunch of young guys, probably has a confidence problem right now and has to be rebuilt up again. You know, all of these things. So you expect the op- the defense to be on the field a lot longer. So those depth issues get even worse because they have to be on the field even longer. Um, I, I think, the, you know, the worst thing that could have happened for this 2020 giant team, and I, I will believe this fully, is that the rest of the division sucks. And even the shred of the thought of the playoffs was even there. Because if this team does every single thing to this point, exactly would have been it. But let's say Dallas was 11 and four at this point, or Philly was 10 and five and running away with division. We're looking at, let's look at the improvement from this time last year. Look, let's look at the improvement from now to game one. Let's look at four game wing streak. They're starting to put things together. No, what happened was everybody got ahead of their skis and thought playoffs, playoffs. We did it ourselves. We got excited too. We well, there's nothing wrong with being excited, but we knew that that was far and far and away beyond our expectations. It it, it became it became two different storylines. It became, can we make the playoffs? That'd be wonderful. But we're still looking at this team not in terms of they are now a playoff team. Absolutely, we 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 made that that. pretty clear. I thought we're doing that. Yeah, all of our you know people who listen to the show and, and interact with us on Twitter and everything, they get it. But that's not what you see. And it's not even what you see like from people you're supposed to – people who are influencers like the schmucks who write at the Post and the Daily News. They you know, they completely you know, drank the Kool-Aid for it and were all over it. Oh, yeah. they, they're, like, they're quick to ride the coattails of a four-game winning streak. And then the first sign of, of things falling apart, they're, they, they've got some anonymous source saying that uh, Dave Gettleman's on the outs and – Boy, that's that's an amazing 180 that happens over the course of a week. What exactly did Dave Gettleman do from two weeks ago to today where we went from a four-game winning streak where people were you know, for the, uh, making fair evaluations about the improvements without going overboard to all of a sudden now he needs to be fired? Nothing. What happened? No GM does anything during the year. There's nothing no. a GM can or can't do except for stuff at the trade deadline maybe – um, you know, maybe Bill Belichick has a, a Josh Gordon come in somehow, you know, swindles that move where he's somehow skirting through some league regulation rules or whatever. That's the only thing a GM can do in the middle of the year like this. That's right, it. exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's really silly. And then let's let's stop something right now before it starts. I saw two different people with the hashtag fire the Maras or something to that equivalent. Oh, yeah. I will I will never be on this show again. I will never be on Twitter again. I'll never step foot in the Meadowlands ever again if the Mares will sell this team in the next year or so because they're in the middle of a seven-year or ten-year drought. It is not 
happening. Guys, this family has owned this team for 95 years. Its entire this, lifespan. This family has become billionaires because of this team. It is their life and soul. Uh, they have gone through you know, the dark periods of the 60s. They've gone through the Yale Bowl. They've gone through far worse you know, issues than right now. Go back to the 40s and things where they didn't have a pot to piss in. You know, two thousand people showed up. They're not selling. This team is not. If you let's put it this way, and even if you think the NFL will step in and make them sell the team, they the NFL after fifteen years stepped in to force them to hire a GM in George Young. They're not. They're not going in, and especially for this ownership group, who is right up there with the Hallises right up there with the Roonies, right up there with the Bidwells as, you know, the Blue Bloods, the respected owners in this league. It, it is simply not happening. Look how bad the ownership has been in the same building we play at for the last 30 years, the Johnson family, or our own, our own the Johnsons have owned it. You don't ever see, there's no serious talk at all about them stepping in and forcing them to move, that it doesn't sell the team. The only case that's happened in the last 20-something years in any of the pro sports is because the owner of the uh, Clippers was a, a outed, out-and-out racist. Well, um, and, and out the Panthers, out too, yeah? With the Panthers, was that the yeah, owner? That was, uh, Richardson, yeah. I don't know if he was – was he actually forced to sell or he just kind of – I think they pressured sold. him into retiring or, or yeah. selling the team. I think something it might have been like that, but, I can't remember. But that was but also – what was it, a sex scandal or something like that? I forget what it was. I think it was sexual harassment I think going on in the offices. And I think this kind of the way it worked out was he, he sold the team. I don't think he was stripped of his team basically like uh, Donald Sterling was. But we're talking about – we're talking about you know moral issues borderlining on – Legal issues, why they were forced to sell. Yeah, very, the, the, the only NFL, NFL owner that's conduct. the only NFL owner that's really at risk of that, and he's managed to skirt it for years now, is Snyder. If Snyder right. is still here, the Bears aren't going anywhere. Exactly, and that's something where you know they had a they had to change the name after he you know for twenty years re- refused to even consider it. They had their own scandals going on right now. They've had a a worse body of record record over the last twenty years. Uh, and, you know they're. It's just not so. Let's just cut, shut that off right now. Not even started. Don't parrot what you've seen. It's not happening. Gettleman being fired, eh, possibility. Gettleman re- being retiring this year, eh, real possibility. I mean, if you start a public outcry, it may happen, possible. But the owner thing is not happening. And and if you, I, I'm gonna blast your ass if you come at me with that on Twitter because it's it, you don't you don't understand the league. You don't understand the relationships in this league, and you frankly don't understand the problems. Well, also, you you don't understand what it's like to really truly have bad ownership. I mean, you haven't yeah. even considered what it's like to be a Jet fan. You know, they, they they've had problems from the top down my entire fucking life. I mean, really think about that. It's been three years for this team. Three years. Hey, New Jersey taxpayer, who's the Giant fan? How much money did you spend on the uh, the new Giant Stadium? Nothing. Zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. Ask, ask any fan of any other place. Ask, you know, a Tampa Bay fan. Ask a Cleveland fan. Ask a Cincinnati fan. You know, ask, you know, uh, Atlanta. They just built the Georgia Dome 25 years ago. Had to build a brand new place all of a sudden. Uh, you know, it's that's you know, 
don't know if you say bad owner, but greedy owner. This is not a greedy ownership thing. This is a, you know, now it may be suffering from, you know, entitled spoiled son who's not as good as his father running it. That's a possibility. I mean, we, we can, we, we can, and we'll probably do this in the off season. We'll do a little analysis of what we've been like since John Maris really taken over. Sure. That's possible. But yeah, and, 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 and anyway, I don't think either of us thinks that John Mara is an elite owner, uh, you know, uh, of a team as far as being a, a president is and, you know, any of that but what's shit. Really, but what, you even, what really even defines being a great owner versus a bad owner? I guess I mean, just knowing just, when it's time to do the hiring and firing, making the right decisions, you know, for general manager and things like that. I mean – most teams do know when the hire. I mean, we. If that's I, I the didn't case, then say that most don't. We pulled I'm just the, then we pulled, we pulled the plug on two bad owners pretty quickly. We did not let it linger and suffer longer than how long was uh, Shermer here? Two, two years. years. How long was McAdoo here? Two years. Two years. I mean, think about any job, any office, any company in the country. The percentage of your hires that are successful, it's not 100%. You know, it's it's better than average. And, you know, most hires are better than average, but sometimes they're not good hires. He's happened to have two in a row. What Dave Gettleman or what George Young or what Jerry Reese does as their job is nothing to do with the owner. The owner is not in the draft room, unless you're Jerry Jones. You know, you they do their jobs. They delegate authority. They delegate responsibility. So the, the owner doesn't do any of that. The owner provides the puts his people in their best position to do their jobs. So, so wait, heard, wait. would you say, in your opinion, that if Dave Gettleman really is the problem, is that an indictment of Mara for a hiring him, b keeping him? No. I mean, first of all, I mean, it depends on the the public perception of Dave Gettleman versus what he's actually doing are two different things. You know, that's, that's team, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this team is, in spite of what the fans think, who think we should be in the Super Bowl four games after he becomes the general manager, the trajectory of this team is improving. This team is better than they were. You know, he has been hired. I think next week will be three years to the date he's been hired. This team is better. This team's uh, future is better. They're in a better position to get better assets. You know, we have to – unfortunately, you know, the, his biggest hires are head coach and quarterback. And quarterback is a very murky, cloudy to be determined right now. And that could ultimately determine his fate. But I think everybody thinks that the hire of Joe Judge – has been a solid hire to this point. In spite of what you imbeciles think that because he he did a uh, he went for it on fourth down twice, all of a sudden you have a bad taste in your mouth about him, then you're you know you're an asshole. But that is a, an important hire. And so far he seems like he's got it after he muffed the first one. We we get that. Dave Gettleman is also not the long term answer because Dave Gettleman is 69 years old. He's not in good health. He's probably you know, we may be doing this show in three weeks saying that Dave Gettleman is re- has retired and we're moving on. He will not be that GM in four years from now. Yeah, I, w- I would be very surprised if that were the thing. I mean, 
my personal opinion is that Dave Gettleman is a um, more logistical. I don't want to say cold-hearted because you know that's not really my point, but but just somebody who's ready to pull the plug and start things over. And they knew that about him. He was going to do what needed to cut contracts. He didn't care who he had to get rid of um, and who he had to keep. He is capable of doing a dirty job. And I think that that's the right kind of person, not necessarily him, because if you've listened to this show since his hire, you know that neither one of us were super thrilled about Gettleman coming in. Um, We were pretty tepid. But that kind of person is perfect for a throw out the trash and start over. Because even the worst teams in the league, they have a person on a giant contract. They have a first-round draft pick that was supposed to be the hope of the franchise. Losing people like that sours a lot of people, including the person that you're losing, but also the locker room, the people who were there, the veterans that came in there thinking that this was the 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 way they were going to go out in their career. They were going to, you know, it, it, it's, it's a dirty job that sucks and nobody likes to do it. He's a good person for that. And I think that he, that Dave Gettleman, in my opinion, was always going to be a short-term Ideally, six to seven year maximum hire. He was going to come e- in even here. Even that, e- even that, based on his age and his health, was I mean, a very, very years, optimistic. Six long-term. to seven years. I'm saying maximum. You know, I'm, I'm thinking it was probably four to five was that sweet spot of where they it was to change the entire culture of this team. We were too much trying to rely on just adding in weapons just keep reloading keep adding weapons and and the the fundamentals of this, of this team were awful the, the head coach was so far up his own ass with his own offense he he wasn't seeing the big picture he's completely losing the locker room he had no press conference skills whatsoever um you know this team was just completely rudderless it had been misallocating uh miss scouting players for such an extended period of time that like core building blocks were just completely missing from this team. He was the guy who was going to come in here, and this is all my opinion, by the way, but it certainly seemed this way. The guy who was going to come in here, throw that shit away, start from the ground up. And that usually means rebuild the trenches, you know, get a running game going because it's the kind of thing that can get you some success and help a young quarterback when you can get a young quarterback. You know, get the right coaching staff in here. Now, to that point, you can only hire coaches when you have no head coach. You can only hire coaches who are available that year. That year when we did that, that was like right when we started the podcast. We had whole thing of all these available head coaches and none of them sounded promising. None of them. I wasn't in the least bit surprised that it was Pat Shermer. Um, I know you were a little bit more surprised because you, you were like, really, Pat Shermer? And I was like, yeah, I get it though because there aren't any good ones. He's at least a guy who's been in the league for a long time. He has some experience as a head coach. I don't really see him as being a long-term This is not an attractive job right now, and it has not been an attractive job for a long time. Don't, I mean... But, I mean, you can only... If you want to be New York arrogant... Also, if you want to be New York arrogant and say, well, it's New York, it's the Giants, well, that's great and all, but the league doesn't, and the people in the league don't look at it that way. This... The NFL is different than it was 20 years ago. It doesn't matter where you are anymore. Everybody gets almost equal attention, equal money, equal everything. That doesn't matter if you play in New York. If anything, it's 
some cases it's a hindrance because of the taxes you pay and the shitty weather you are and the extra scrutiny. It's not as attractive as you think. I, it I is. think the most attractive thing for a head coach is is franchise stability, and yeah. the Giants are okay there. But I mean, like a job like taking head coach of the New York Jets. I mean, that's a rough one. Taking head coach of the Washington football team. That's a rough one. I mean, head coaches go in and out in these places. Um, you know, maybe the Jaguars job is another one where it's, you know, if you have another offer from somewhere else, you're probably thinking about somewhere else. Obviously, any head coaching job is going to be better than none. So, yeah, I mean, I agree and, with you. And, and the, and the, also, the only deciding factor for me is really that is, is this a job where I'm set up for failure or am I set up to actually do what I'm supposed to do? And that's yeah, really it. And, and remember, I, I think to the point you made a little earlier, you alluded to it, and I'll expand on it, is that I think that the biggest mistake this coaching, uh, this ownership has done, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put this on a coach or a general manager, you know, present or past head coach or uh, general manager, was the insistence that Eli Manning still had something in the tank and. Rather than getting his – not only trying to get his heir apparent a little sooner, keep building around him. Mm-hmm. And I think that set this team back a little bit, and that's something you can say. That that lays on the feet. I'm, I am positive that is a mayor thing. And OK, that's fine. That happened. You've seen that in a lot of organizations where you know that, that happened, you know, but – we we don't know the what happened on the inside between uh, Belichick and Brady. I you know something if I think if Belichick doesn't have the standing he has in that building and it's you know let's say as a Patriot coach has been there for four years or something I bet you Brady's still on that team. Oh, by the way, Bill Belichick is very much in charge of their draft. I, their drafts are horrendous. Every right. year, and it never gets talked about because he's able to get success from it. But if they even, I mean, some of the players they pass on, they would be a much better. I'm sure that's something that you know sure. the likes of Tom Brady was just kind of sick of dealing with. I mean, a quarterback, a quarterback means almost everything. I mean, it, it covers up a lot of sins. Yeah, oh, for having, sure. Having a great quarterback, and that's back to my point is you know, Belichick. You know, I, I think he wanted to move on. I think he's I think he's wanted to move on to a different type of offense, you know, with his offense according to Josh McDaniels to do different things that as well as Brady has played for the last couple of years, he can't do anymore. He can't move an inch, you know, and things like that. And I just think that, you know, he doesn't have, quite have his fastball like he used to. And the Patriots, other than the quarterback acquisition, cut bait before it's too late. And I think, you know, Bob Kraft, had a lot to say with him being there as long as he had. And you know, maybe it milked out another Super Bowl. Maybe it milked out another Super Bowl appearance. That's great. But, you know, he's not there anymore. And that's as much to do with Belichick. Than, but we don't have that pull here. If we had, you know, let's say if Tom Coughlin was still here for some reason. Let's say we didn't run him out of town. You know, and he's been here for 12 years or something. Do you think Eli lasts that long? Because he's Coughlin's a lot more standing than. I think it's a loaded question. I, I think uh, if, if we're going to get into this, I think there was a massive disagreement in in talent and what it, t- it takes for a football team to work between Tom Coughlin and Jerry Reese and Mark Ross. I think Jerry Reese and Mark Ross 
viewed things like skill position players and you know getting them in space with the ball was was superior to having guys in front of Eli. And I don't think that's Tom, Tom Coughlin. I think was very much a run and run play action off of it kind of guy. And after you know Jerry Reese took over. The, the building blocks that were there when he did take over, they just sort of retired and moved on and were never replaced. And I, th- you know, so to answer your question directly, no, but I don't think that's necessarily an Eli problem so much as it's Eli couldn't do what he couldn't run an offense like Tua can. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what Jerry Reese was building around him. Yeah, just evade the guys running at you and then throw the ball. Why can't you do what Cam Newton does? You know what I mean? That's yeah, kind but of he also, what it but felt he, like. But he also, but but Jerry Reese was gone, and Eli was still here. Well, so I mean that he yes. that, that we're, we're and, and you know something. Tom Coughlin was gone, and but, you know, but that's what I'm saying. So to answer your question, if things happened, let's say nobody got fired instead of Tom Coughlin, you know, being fired or not retained or whatever not um, there yeah right. yeah if, if nothing happened then no Eli Manning is probably gone he's probably pulling in drafts to re- to replace him with somebody else you know but, but and the whole mindset changes a lot earlier than it did you know week two of the 2019 season because guess what the rebuild started the day Daniel Jones started in Tampa you can give lip, you can give lip service to these different things, but it, the true mindset and the true belief that we are now rebuilding started the day he took over starting quarterback. I, th- I think I think the the rebuild goes into action when he starts, but the rebuild starts when you draft him. I mean, once you dump the asset into it, that's when the dra- the, the rebuild starts. Yeah, but. I, not, I know what you're saying, you're but it, it's in. kind of you're like you're not all in yet. You're you, kind of I'm dating this chick, but I don't really love her. Yet. No, 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 no. I, I can't agree with it. You put draft capital into a guy like that, it's it starts whether you, whether he starts week three or week seven draft, or week one or week nineteen. Drafting a guy is swiping right on Tinder. You know, wait, wait I, the first nope. the first time you you decide I'm not dating anybody else, that's when you are in a relationship and. Yeah, I, I, I put this exactly the same way. No, I, I no, I, I a quarterback in the first round in the top fifteen in the top ten. I I, I don't agree. See, that's 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 your gumar. That's your girl on the side. You still have your wife. No, your wife's not at the door yet. No, it, well, it's, it's there's the overlap same. there. I'm not debating that. But yeah, I agree that the rebuild takes action in that moment, but. But it, once you dump the assets into it, you are dumping the asset. You are choosing the future over the current. Once you dump the assets in, you have made a significant, the, the most significant dump of assets that you can into something that does not help the current, only helps the future. That's why the rebuild starts. Then it doesn't they jump get- into action yet. I mean, you don't see any fruits from it until he takes the field. So I agree with you there. I mean, you're never gonna know. He never gets experience until he takes the field. So I, I agree with do, that. Do but. do the Giants sign Golden Tate if Eli Manning is not the starting quarterback in Week One of 2019? The answer, I believe, is no. Golden Tate was a signing, a short-term signing, to make that one last-ditch effort with Eli. There's no point. There's uh, no. no I, point. I think that's that's. There is there is no point of having Golden Tate on this roster if you are starting from scratch with Daniel Jones. None, because you know he's a he's he's a veteran receiver who doesn't 
doesn't want to be in a true rebuild. He was sold as I, I can guarantee it. I wasn't in the room, but I can guarantee you the pitch to him was we are making one last run at this with Eli Manning, an all time great who's done it before. We think he has enough in the horses to do it. You know, come with us. Let's make that run together. Maybe the the sell to Golden Tate's agent. You mean? Yes, and to a Golden Tate himself. Yeah, I can I mean, see that. But but the thing is, why does is that, Golden, why does Golden Tate want to be here? You know, to he go money. to the he he got a four year. I don't think he's getting that money anywhere else. I don't know. Maybe I mean, maybe, maybe. But but so I think his signing had a lot more to do with losing Beckham. You trade Beckham away, and now you have a huge. You got to get somebody in there. You might as well get a veteran, uh, a guy who's sure-handed. You know, he he's he's not going to replace him. The only well, that, people that, in the that, league that, that are going to replace argument. Beckham, but well, that's, that's an, not the that's argument, argument that you make to take. That's an argument. That's an argument in your favor that you know. Yes, you the rebuild is starting because you are you are beginning to tear down. See, that's the thing was they like your point. They were one foot in the rebuild, one foot, and still going for it. I, you know, they make con- contra- contradictory true. moves. Yeah. Contradictory moves what, that kind of send is strange fun. messages in your locker room and you know just don't work. You have to be all aligned. Look, I'm not going to debate whether that was the right call or not to half-ass it or that, go that's all That's what in. happened. Yeah. I mean, it, but, but, but the fact is, is that it muddies the water as to when it started. So do I care when it started personally? No, but I'm also not the one pulling up stats about when the Browns did their rebuild and when we did and how much That's further they are than we are. Guys, fuck all of that. Stop comparing this team to everyone else and just compare with what this team was and what it is. Yes, these are incremental things, but I also don't think that they are 12, 13 players away from being in the hunt. I think this team is like five to six players away from being in the hunt. And I'm not talking about an injury-riddled Eagles team. I mean, really, I mean, in the hunt to me is anywhere from seven and nine to nine and seven. That's in so the hunt. In the hunt for what? In the is hunt is, is, is a wild card team. Okay, that that's a big difference between in the hunt to be a wild card team versus in the hunt to be you know, a, a Super Bowl contender because I but, but, we're all I mean, trying. Yes, we're, that is the but ultimate we're goal. To, we are trying to build to be a Super Bowl contender, and I get it. It's a progression. You have to move up the ranks and everything to do it. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. This team is very, very, very far away from that. This team, you're right. It might be, you know, seven to nine players, but seven to nine players is what? Uh, 20% of your team. I think I think it's a, a one draft class and one free agency period where you have some fucking money away from being from being a competitor for the wild card, which is getting in the playoffs. Obviously, your goal at the beginning of the season is to win your division, right? And why is it to win your division? Because when you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. Your goal is yeah. to win the Super Bowl, but the only thing you can control is winning your division. You Once want to you're get, in the playoffs. You want a playoff out. game at home at least to start. Exactly. You do not want to go through the road we've, which we've done. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, but also not every position is the same. You know, the the quarterback position is so much more important than having you know getting a great linebacker. And I think that's you know, this year you can put five asterisks next to this year for every reason we've said every single time since this show and since March. But the fact remains that is a, you know, that's nothing we can count on going forward that we have 
locked down. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We have, we have plenty of concern that Daniel Jones is not the quarterback that, you know, will take, can take this team even to the next level of being contender. We don't know yet. We, we, we simply don't know. Anybody who thinks, oh, well, he's that good is, is, is the most optimistic giant fan there is because we simply don't know. So some of the things that show me that this team, I mean, in, in terms of saying that not every position is created equal, you're, you're right. Um, but some of the most important ones are locked up. You know, is Daniel Jones, is he not, remains to be seen, but is there enough there to show you that he, he I, I mean, this isn't Ryan Leaf performance here. You know what I mean? This is oh, not. Thank God. Yeah, okay, but, great. But so we know. I'm not, I'm not, try, I'm not trying bar. to lower the bar. What I'm saying right. is you have enough there. He has shown enough there that you can start building a team around him. If you have talent around him and he's still not performing, okay, fine, you whiffed. But he is not the kind of guy who's going to go trot out there with Amari Cooper and Antonio Brown and T.O. and you know Barry Sanders and just completely underperform. I, you know, he's he's not a complete bust. So you you have a quarterback in place, whether he's the future or not. You have you have something in place that you can build around. We have a quarterback in place who we can make it. We who gave himself an opportunity to be evaluated. That's what he is. He passed the first test that he is not a backup in this league right now. He could he could potentially be a starting quarterback. Let's see if he is or isn't. That is that is true. But that does not mean we have the quarterback position locked up by any stretch or anything. None of the, none of this shit even matters. This is this is we're, we're venturing on irrelevant now. This is not the point. At this point, oh well, no, it is irrelevant. It, it is pretty real. It's it's like we were trying to accurately assess, and this is all going back to is the is the rebuild going fast enough, or where are we in the rebuild that we're reasonable where we are right now? So how can you judge? How can you find? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that. We're trying to make the point that, you know, people think it should be happening faster than it is, and we're trying to say, this is where we are right now. So reevaluate where you think we should be, and you're starting. We're going down that path now. Quarterback to be determined. Next, offensive line compared to what it was, and compared to, you know, where would this offense? Where does people expect this offensive line to be right now? Because they're doing exactly what we wanted to do. It spent heavily in the draft on first round picks and second round picks, high level picks to rebuild this offensive line. And as a result, the offensive line is going to struggle at times, but is exponentially better than it was two years ago. Perfect. That okay. Is, so, so right here, that's, the, that's but, where the rebuild is doing what it's supposed to. People are just ahead of their skis. Exactly. So here, here's where I'm going to bring this directly into this game that just passed. So Daniel Jones. <laughs> If you look to last year, what Baker Mayfield was in year two, Browns fans, they kind of thought maybe they got a stinker. Maybe Baker Mayfield was over, was over-evaluated. Maybe he overperformed in his first year. Maybe he's just not that good. That was his second year. I mean, that's because that team was just kind of moving things around. The coaching changed. I mean, there's just too much. There's more to it than just the quarterback. So, they weren't sure about Baker Mayfield last year. They're pretty fucking sure this year. You know, wait, it's wait, wait, wait. Stop, 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 stop. You think the organization wasn't sure? You just think the fans weren't sure? The fan sure. base. I'm talking about the fan base. Yeah. Okay. The, the fan base is 
it is so difficult to evaluate a quarterback in in any situation that's not I don't want to say ideal, but like it's hard to evaluate him in a team sport. The things around him, from the coaching to the talent to the scheme to the opponent, I mean, there's so much that goes into evaluating a quarterback that it takes somebody who's level-headed and can really look at it. And I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about professionals. You know what I mean? So it's – yes, we don't know about Jones this year, but that does not mean that he is not where he should be or whatever. I mean, there's so many other things that go in there. And we talk about the offensive line. Um, I – at some points, they're going to look really good. Other weeks, they're going to look not that great. Mm-hmm. Last week, they played like absolute garbage. This week, I thought they – Andrew Thomas specifically, and we can talk about Miles Garrett recovering from COVID three fucking weeks ago, but um, – Still Miles Garrett. It's still Miles Garrett, and he was a complete non-factor in this He didn't game. become Mrs. Garrett from Facts of Life. He's yeah. still Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett did almost nothing in this game. He had a half sack on the second-to-last play of the game, which is – the garbagiest, garbagiest of garbage times. I, I mean, he was, and and that I'm just talking about pass protection because that was people's worry in the run game. Andrew Thomas was dominant yesterday. I mean, absolutely, especially double team blocks with Shane Lemieux, which um, Bobby Skinner actually did a great breakdown of of that. Just just a compilation from just yesterday's game of the two of them just absolutely steamrolling guys. Cleveland has a good defensive line, a really good one. And the offensive line held up pretty fucking well. I mean, in this game, I would expect probably two to three sacks. I think there was like one, one and a half maybe. It was – I didn't really see McCoy under a whole lot of pressure. He was getting the ball out a little bit quick, but this was a good game from them against a good opponent with a shit quarterback. I mean, I I, I don't think that this rebuild is going – Horribly. This is about what we expected. This is what we hoped for, I would say, right? I mean, if, if you told me that this was the performance that we would have from the, with Saquon Barkley being out for almost the entire year, I would have been happy with this. Sucks to watch, but <laughs> but this this is about I, 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 pace I, I with what the, I would have expected from the talent I think the team. The, I think the parts are better than the whole right now. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's like, if I'm looking at parts, if I'm looking, I think the offensive line is playing better than I would have possibly imagined. The defense you know, is playing far better than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the running back depth is far better than I could have possibly imagined. I didn't expect, you know, Gallman to, to be anything more than just a, a potential part-time contributor. I didn't expect a complete scrub up the scrap even and Alfred Morris to do anything. Um, you know, Things that are disappointing are things I thought would be better, like, you know, pro bowler Evan Ingram. You know, they're just guys that we really need to rely on have not held their weight. Sterling Shepard, you know, I think people like him. They're used to him. Stinks. Mm. I'm sorry. He's just – he's too often just like you forget about him. And every once in a while it's like, oh, yeah, Shepard made a catch. He's he's no – he doesn't tilt the uh, the field in our favor hardly at all. Well, I, I think that's a kind of useless. It. Nah, nah. I think that's that's a in this system. I agree with you. I think. Well, he, this is our system. <laughs> I mean, I think he was great in Pat Shermer's system. I think he was the uh, the focal point. I think he was outstanding. I mean, but, but that's that. Even that's a little 
strong. Outstanding? No. He was well. That, solid. that 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 team was bad. I mean, there's only so much you can yeah. do. I mean, that yeah. that was back when we we're talking about an offensive line that couldn't block me. Um, right. You know, so that's going to limit him. But in terms of just watching him get separation and win on routes, he was he was excellent in that system. You know, the ball didn't make it his way a lot of times. That wasn't any fault of his. You know, but. But this system where everybody's only running about five to seven yards, he's not isolated like he should be. He should be winning on the inside matched up against slot corners. So, like, so, so again, you, you said that last week and you're saying it again now. I mean, this week, what, perc- what, what percentage of our plays are, are just purely that? I mean, don't, I mean, you act like that's the offense. It's everybody just runs five yards in that. I mean, it's not that ridiculous. You know, there is some verticality to this offense. There is plays we're trying and these guys are never getting any separation, ever. And that's part of the problem. I mean, this is not an offense that's only trying to get 10 yards, you know, playing 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards. It is now because obviously, you know, with, with a backup quarterback, and a, a bad backup quarterback with no arm and, you know, the, the limitations all over the place, maybe, but that's not the way we were this offense was running for the first you know several weeks of the year and these guys just didn't don't really do anything these receivers and that hurts that hurts that hurts Daniel Jones development as much as anything I but what I mean I don't I don't know what percentage is it, there's enough that I notice it every week noticeable is one thing that isn't the offense though I mean noticeable to say we're doing it a little too much is one thing but you know there are ample opportunities for these guys to to make a play, and they don't. They can't. I mean, I, I I'm going to say that fans think Darius Slayton is better than he is, and he had a he had a pretty oh, dismal ab- game. Absolutely. Yes. This this game was not great for him. I mean, he dropped one right in his hands because he was ready to run before he caught it. He also was uh, kind of a shitty throw by Colt McCoy, but allowed himself to just veer too far out of bounds when he had a big gain right in front of him. You know, Darius Slayton, I like him. I think he's got speed. He's, I think he has good hands. Personally, I think he's a good route runner. I don't think he's a number one wide receiver. And right now, fans seem to think that he is, mainly because he's the best fucking receiver we have. That's not saying that you're a number one receiver. It means your receivers suck. Right now... Yeah, if, if, we, if, this is a, if, if he was on a top ten passing offense in this league, he's not a one receiver. He might not even be a two receiver. I, I, I mean... I think Sterling Shepard is among the better inside receivers in this league. That's, I mean, he is quick, he's twitchy, he's good at finding holes in the zone. That's not going to happen unless there are guys, uh, if guys are within 10 yards of him. And that's just kind of what's going on right now. Um, I, I think that he's good at recovering. I think he's got good hands. I think he's even better in space if he can ever get in space. But that's just, that is what it is. It's Golden Tate is right now is like kind of playing as the one three two. He's just moving around into whatever. There, mm-hmm. there is no clear one on this team. If you add a number one wide receiver to this team, a true deep threat, a great route runner. I mean, it 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 takes so much pressure I, off I, of the other receivers. It allows you to I, do I more think, things. I think you hit it even more. I think this team needs a one who's a great route runner even more than a great deep threat. Mm. I mean, a, a route runner does so many things. It, it demands that, you know, almost they need to double cover him because he, you know, 
he just gets open all mm-hmm. the time. And no, yeah. It's nice having yeah, I mean having, having a guy who can you can stretch the field and, you know, his you know, potentially have that fifty yard bomb is great, but how many fifty yard bombs do you hit in a month? Two? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, the, it's, the guy who can really get the separation and, and can create things not out of nothing but just out of sort of something is it's we don't have that. We have nothing close to, to that. To to Jason Garrett's potential credit is I don't know I don't know how much you can design to have guys separate when you don't have anything more than the group that you have. I mean, you have yes, a number thank two, you. but that doesn't excuse the fact that you can't try. <laughs> but what we are calling is still garbage. Um, fine. Um, but does this offense? Does he design a, a better offense, better plays if he has someone that can truly separate? And cause defenses to absolutely, I think so. Let me ask you a question, and I just thought of this now as we were talking. This defense has gotten a lot better from week one to week now, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that beginning of the year, you know, this offense goes up against this defense all the time in practice, and thinking that our offense is better than it was because the defense was worse than it looked, that he tried to be more you know, more attacking, but as this defense is getting better in practice, it's making our offense in practice look less efficient. And it's like this offense really can't do much of what I think it can do and is purposely shy knows what the limitations of this offense is. Because I mean the, the com- I mean, there was no com- there was no complaining about Jason Garrett in the first seven or eight weeks. This is this is a second half of the season thing. Look, there has been a drastic difference in what was being called. We were right. far more aggressive as an offense against Pittsburgh. We were, th- I mean, Daniel Jones' touchdown pass in that was like a 35-yard touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. So the question is why? Well, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I mean, is that... And I, and I really think it's got something to do with that... Uh, maybe it's because that, um, you know, once you get tape, other teams see what you can do, and they've maybe. adjusted to it. And, I mean, you know, a lot of it probably has to do with the offseason. In, in just not being comfortable with what you were doing to start the season and just throwing everything at the wall, and then you just all of a sudden you're here after making tiny adjustment, tiny adjustment, tiny adjustment. Now week mm-hmm. fifteen, you're like, holy shit, we really don't do anything other than these plays, do we? Shit, that's not. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's just coming in slightly unprepared, which is you know excusable given the off season. Yeah, I don't think unprepared is the right word. That kind of implies that we just didn't get him prepared. No, we didn't, but, but I mean, just like it's not, more like just not ready, just not it just yeah, just just yeah. just didn't have time, just ran out of time, and now you're just doing right. it on the fly. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there's some level of truth to that. I think I think uh, a good offensive, like a, an outstanding offensive coordinator, probably can roll with the punches and make it work. Um, you know, maybe Jason Garrett isn't that, but I think it's an extremely steep hill to climb to make all this work. It was a tough task, no matter who the offensive coordinator was, to come in, mm-hmm. install a new offense with a young quarterback who's not a veteran. Um, uh, you know, and, and this whole offensive line is just working on the fly. You, you've got your big veteran offensive lineman, whether you like him or not, the most trusted guy, he's opting out. It's a mess. It's a lot to handle, and you had no time to do it. I get it. And yeah, that probably contributed. I don't. I don't really know. What I do know is any offense that runs the way that we're running right now, uh, up until this game, I should say, isn't going to work. And then all of a sudden, 
we have Colt McCoy in there, and I, I get that we're trying to be aggressive because we don't want Baker Mayfield to have the ball any longer than you know. We we're trying to put up seven every time. We're going to go for it on fourth down all the time. But all of a sudden, we're throwing down field this week with Colt McCoy, who's throwing rainbows. I mean, this this sounds so hypocritical because I was telling Giants fans three weeks ago against Seattle that Colt McCoy is an okay veteran backup, and that's true. But all of a sudden, we're putting everything on his arm. We had 16 running attempts. Why? Between two running backs, 16 running backs. This is the game that we decided to throw? Why Why didn't we do this last week or two weeks ago? I mean, what What the hell is this? I, I, I don't understand why we waited for this week to just start. And you could see that the plays were there. I mean, if, if Colt McCoy could throw anything beyond 10 yards on a rope... We have probably two touchdowns in this game. So, so, a win, so you probably not. So, so you advocating we should have been doing this sooner, or why the hell are we doing this why now? Why are we doing this with Jones? This is what Jones is good at. This is what Jones is better than McCoy at, for sure. Compare, I mean, I, maybe they just looked at the film with, uh, you know, Cleveland versus Arizona and thought. I mean, it could be it work. I, but but I mean, you can't remember who you're playing against too. What, what I'm what I'm railing against Jason Garrett for, or or this offense, or whatever you want to call it. But we, this week wasn't a problem, <laughs> in my opinion. I thought I thought everything that we the play calls were about as good as you could get with the pieces we have. Um, but but yeah, let's, why let's now? Why, the... why? What are we wait? What were we waiting for? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I I don't know. I I I think. I think it's your. I think it kind of goes back to the point that you made. Also, that we had nothing to lose, and we had to. We had to try things that we wouldn't normally do. It was our only chance to win a game like this because the Cleveland offense has been has been humming along. They're a good team. We're not going to win by kicking field goals. I think so. I think we yeah. did things that we wouldn't normally do, and you know. Going for those, let's not confuse the aggressiveness with going for it on fourth down in the red zone versus the play calling, like, you know, like being more aggressive play calling. I completely agree with going for those two um, fourth down plays because you're right. There's no way we're going to win this game like we won the Seattle games. Their offense is too good. Yes. And, 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 but well, also, also, our defense is not our defense without Bradbury. That's just that's exactly story. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So any chance we can have to maybe sort of slow them down was and people that were complaining about, well, maybe this defense isn't so good. Oh, it's like kind of also saying, well, maybe our offense isn't good when you don't have, you know, Saquon Barkley in the backfield. It's different. Yeah. It's not going to be as good. Um, I thought it was really stupid that formation on that first one. Try do what you do best. You know that that that. that, that Think about going out like if you're throwing to your center, you can't tell me that's your best, you know, opportunity to win. I thought it was a stupid play call. Going for it on fourth down and doing a fake field goal attempt is not the same thing. I, you know, this was exactly. the first game that I truly had questions about what Joe Judge was doing. That was one of them. The other one was the. Ch- I I understand the time of the game. He had nothing to lose, but the challenge on the uh, the, the squib kick or whatever the the onside kick. I don't know what he thought he saw because he looked livid after the call didn't go his way. I looked at it every which way, and I, not even for yeah, a shred of a second did I think that it was going to That flip. didn't bother me as much because there was really no – what was the implication? It didn't bother of, me as much. What I'm saying is yeah. that it's, this is the, fir- the first time that I really had a question about an in-game decision that Judge did, and there were two of them. 
Um, yeah, the second one to me was just kind of like a sort of like a who cares. Yeah, if, if that the were a closer one. game, I would say that that was a fucking waste, and I would have been I, pissed I was, about. It. I'm I, not, I'm I not pissed about it. it. It it doesn't affect me, but it did make me wonder. Like, did he actually think he saw something, or was that just a what the hell? You know, we, what do we have to lose? Because did it didn't look say, like it was like that. Did a reporter ask him about that? I don't know. I'd be curious if you know what his answer would be for that. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, maybe they just were try, they're knowing all these you know, these situations that they tried to go out of their comfort zone a little bit, and that could very well be. I mean, they just may not be comfortable with Daniel Jones running that offense yet. Maybe they just feel more comfortable right now with him. This is what he can do. I mean, I we're not going to get an honest, will... honest answer now. Yeah, what I will uh, but... say about Daniel Jones versus Colt McCoy is. Um... I think that Colt McCoy understands this offense a little bit better than Jones. So I, w- I will say that I think if Jones has screwed up one thing this year, it, it, it seems to be not not seeing the open guy because he's not even looking there. And I don't know if that's the way the offense is designed and he doesn't have the wherewithal as a, as a young guy to make that adjustment on the fly and like look at the defense and be like, hey, my last read might actually be the guy who's open on this one just based on the way they're lined up. You know what I mean? I'm not or sure if it's that. Or he's being coached to do that. Or, or, if, or if he's being coached to do that or if he's just not simply not seeing it because it's something that I've seen all year with him is that, ah, he missed this open guy right here. I mean, he's not even looking that way. I'm not really sure why. But, but I didn't see that at all this week with McCoy and I didn't see it with Seattle either. Let's remember the criticism around draft time with him is the offense he ran was extremely simple at Duke and it didn't require multiple reads. Mm. It was kind of a, a one read look and go, you know, if he's there, get it to him. If not, tuck it and run different. So that may take time. I mean, that may take a couple of years to coach that in. And again, if we believe that this is a rebuild, if we truly believe that, this coaching staff was being put together to work on a reconstruction and developing something that's going to take a couple years. It may not be all spoon-fed all at once, everything that needs to be done. And, you know, they have to be honest with themselves and maybe throw a little nugget out to the media and the fans that this is what we're trying to do. But because I think the expectations of where we should be versus, and this might be right along with their plan, like, Garrett may be 100% job security safe with uh, Joe Judge because this might be exactly what he wants right now. And not because he's stubborn, not because he's conservative, because this is my plan and we are executing to plan right now. Could be. I could be completely wrong, but it seems more logical to me than, you know, we're just running an offense for five yards in turn. It, 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 it makes no sense. Well, I agree with that. I, I can't imagine yeah, what the it, thinking it, it, is behind it other than they're covering it, it, for some it, other it, deficiency. Or it, something. It, it, it's not – there's no track record of uh, Garrett doing that in the past. That's not his offense. That's, That's not he was, very, that's why he was brought in. Game. So something – there is something else at play that – you know. but then you have to go back to what's the most logical reason. And I think that might be it. The young offense that – you know is learning on the fly rookies all over the place second year guys uh, couldn't implement what you really wanted to and practice what you really wanted to 
let's get through this year with the the core of it, the base of it. We'll implement more and install more in year two. You know, you'll be more comfortable playing. This line will be more gelled together. We'll open this thing up. We're in no rush to get this done in spite of what the fans think. Let's let's shift to um, our, our pro bowler here. Not the obvious one in James Bradbury, <laughs> but I just want to have a quick conversation about Evan Ingram because he is going to be on the team. and They've already exercised his fifth-year option. So unless he gets traded, I, I don't think they're going to cut him. So um, That fifth-year option, that locks him into the price and also locks it's a, him it's into – pretty high price. Cheap. Let me look it up. It's it's What's not... a rookie deal, right? Yes, but that fifth, that fifth year is a big jump from year four. Yeah, it's it's a five million dollar jump. All right. So what's the total number? Six million. All right. Not horrible. Oh, sorry. It's a four million dollar jump. He's at one one point nine this year. So yeah. So it's not horrible. It's 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 tradable. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, uh, it's it's certainly tradable. It, but but whoever's trading for him knows that they're trading him on the last year of his contract, which makes it more difficult to move. Uh, it sounds like it's a, it's you know it's a public relations nightmare apparently if you're especially for Dave Gettleman but maybe some fan bases don't have to stick up their ass for well their it also it also be- it, everything depends if you're a contender and you're one tight end away from you trade yeah. for whatever fuck fuck next year it's all about this year right here that's right true. now so that's, that's, that's so totally true I'm just saying it makes it a little bit harder to move but um you wanted to talk about the Pro Bowl and what it is and how it works. So Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the Pro Bowl, to me, is no different than in college football, how you select the Heisman Trophy versus preseason All-Americans. It is 100% on narrative and personality and, you know, just being lazy for no other reason. I mean, you see it every game – you know, we have a different announcer who covers the game, a different color commentator. We know the Giants. We watch the team every week. We talk about them every day. We all know the ins and outs. You get some schmuck who does the game on Fox Sports, whether it's the, you know, the third string announcer, the fourth string announcer. Compare the amount of words that are said in praise of Evan Ingram as opposed to the ones that, you know, point out the inconsistencies you know the the disappointments the you know all the things about him that we you know maybe we look at a little bit too harshly because we're just it happens all the time and we expect it but you know he's he's not quite in that jason witten you know the guy walks on water air but it's you know he's in that level where you know when the average football fan watches they hear you know, first round pick Evan Ingram. That guy's a physical mismatch match. He can make great plays. The narrative is set. So to me, this all these these awards and all these things, they're just, you know, it's no different. You can give me five receivers for Litnikoff Award. They probably were on the watch list in the beginning of the season. Why you're on a watch list before a season even happened is ridiculous. It doesn't mean so I don't get don't sell on me that he's really good because he's a pro bowler. And don't tell me other other things otherwise. The narrative for him is that he's good. He gets these awards. Bottom line is he is not carrying his weight for what is needed for this offense. We need a guy. We need a consistent Evan Ingram to make this offense better and be that number one safety valve guy for Daniel Jones. He is not that. So congratulations. You're going to – you're nominated to a Pro Bowl where there won't even be a game this year. 
Good luck to you. I mean, I'm happy for him. It's, you know, not an easy More thing More money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can always use it as a bargaining chip for, for when it comes to contract time. It, it's good for him. Congratulations, dude. Um, but what actually surprised me about this – so like what you're saying is uh, you know, the writers and all that stuff and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean sometimes they flat out lie. I mean we've heard dumbass announcers you – know, I'm not going to go off on a tangent but quite literally say that he has good hands. I mean yeah. does he? I mean for every great catch he has, he has three stupid drops. Somebody, somebody said dependable this year and yeah. I, I could not – get to my phone fast enough in record time to text you to say i think my phone my tv's broken because they just said he was dependable yeah yeah i mean the leakiest depends you can find i'll tell you that much. yeah um, but that's a narrative i mean you know this is a so but, but i mean media, that that one media third doesn't surprise me i mean i don't know why that the the writers and media want to to blow this guy so hard but but that's only one third of the vote one third is fans, and fans will vote for anybody who's listed on their team, and I get that too. But the other third is the other players, and I think that's really interesting. I mean, was he really? Is he that highly regarded by other players? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe they, maybe he is. You know, maybe in those defensive rooms, they're like, look, we can neutralize this guy. We just, you know, you have to be on your toes with him because he's real fast. And so, so let's talk about that for a minute. The player vote, the players that only really know can really evaluate anybody are the 16 opponents which is really a lesser number than that because you play teams twice who really watch him on film you mean to tell me that players on uh pick a team this year denver can tell you who the three best tight ends are this year if they don't watch him no it's, I mean, it, it's such a skewed vote of what the players do. They're not, they're not pouring through game film. They're not studying the league. They're, they care about learning their own playbook and worrying about, you know, this time of year, what their opponent next week is doing. They don't know. They know sound bites. They see what they see on Twitter, and what they see on Twitter is the same horseshit that we see. You know, if they're not fans, they're following media, and media blows the guys. So that's. That's uh, silly. I guess so. I guess I didn't think of it like that, but you're right. It's the same thing like the coaches voting in college football. It's like coaches don't fucking vote. They don't know. They're they're, they're working 110 hours a week on their own team and the the opponent they're playing. They ask one of their SIDs or something fill out the ballot for me, and that's it. Well, let's talk about the Heisman for a second before you go off because I know you're going to have a, a a big opinion on this year's Heisman, and I understand. But for me, the Heisman Trophy is has been for at least what has it been 10 years maybe 10 years completely worthless it's it is it is a lie what it's about what they what they hold it to be has nothing to do with being an upstanding student anything well, it is well, that ended that ended with Jameis Winston it that that's my point they they decided that this was a money maker and a money maker only and that's fine that's fine. But once you do that, understand that you are running a popularity contest. You're running a beauty pageant. That's all it is now. And that's that's fine, but don't try and make it anything else. Johnny Manziel wins the fucking thing. Are you kidding me? Jameis Winston. Can't, just, just admit that this is just about whose name generates the most money. 
It's, it's not even the best fucking player regardless of moral standing anymore. It's not. I mean, it, just, it simply isn't. I, I mean, the fact that Kyle Trask is almost being elbowed out of it right now is pretty sad. And I know I know that this is like a heavily Florida-influenced well, NFL I'm, I'm podcast, gonna... but, but I mean, it's true. He's being like elbowed out of it after a team loses. It's, it's about an individual player. It's not about... I mean, Lamar Jackson was on an awful Louisville team. I am going to... Uh, I'm going to count to 10. And anybody who really listens to the show for Giants news... I'm going to give you a chance to fast forward and we will tell you when I'm done with this rant because this is going to be off topic to this show, but this has to get off my chest. All right. I've given you enough time. First of all, with regards to the Heisman trophy, I think what Kyle Trask has done has been absolutely amazing for all of you may not know the story up really quickly. He was a backup in high school who went to a camp in Florida and the coaches were like, this guy has got something. We'll offer him a scholarship. Through injury, you know, uh, Philby Franks basically got Wally pipped. He ended started playing, was fantastic this year, and has played at a Heisman quality level. For the record, I don't know if he's the, – the great numbers he's had and everything, I don't know if he's the – if he's going to get screwed if he doesn't win the Heisman. Uh, the, those guys on Bama, and honestly, you know, any one of the three of them are elite, elite, elite. Now, they have the benefit of playing for an elite, elite, elite offense with an offensive line that I only wish I can dream of for the Giants or the Gators. Uh, Kyle Trask has done statistically fantastic. He is not in the biggest spots. Like in this Bama game, he was good. He wasn't elite. To You have to have a moment to win the Heisman Trophy. You have to have a, a signature play, a signature game, a signature something. And... Didn't even have to win against Bama. You have to be just like, holy shit. Like that year, LeBron James, people are thinking should have won the MVP of the finals when Cleveland lost in in five or six. And he he didn't have that. So I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to be super outraged, pissed about if he doesn't win the Heisman this year. I will agree with Grump that the Heisman is dead to me ever since 2001 when Rex Grossman did not win the Heisman because there was this unwritten you know, rule that sophomores can't win it, which was absolute horseshit. And um, uh, Eric Crouch from, from Nebraska, who is you know, a, a, a poor man's fucking uh, – tell me the worst backup in the NFL – he was a, a poor man's him won it just because they wouldn't give it to a sophomore. So to me, the Heisman is total bullshit. College football, this playoff has proven that it is what Grump said all about money, period. Good old boy network, that's it. You have a team, Ohio State, that played five fucking games. Five games. Their game against the play at Oregon who turned out to be the Pac-12 Pac champs, canceled at the beginning of the year, had three regular season games, division games, canceled. Ineligible to play in their conference game, they changed the rules in December to make them eligible. Why? So they can play an extra game, and they can get you know on the radar to get the vote to the college football playoff. Notre Dame. Notre Dame beats... 
Clemson in overtime without arguably the, the, the best pro prospect in the last five years playing in it. They changed the rules in the ACC. So no longer are the two division champs playing the ACC championship game. The teams with the two highest rankings play in it. Change it mid-season to give Clemson another shot to play Notre Dame with a healthy Trevor Lawrence, beat the shit out of them. What's the implication of that? Fucking Notre Dame goes to the playoff anyway. It doesn't matter. Florida plays their full schedule, plays a first time in history. An SEC schedule is 10 conference games. We have to pick up Texas A&M, play them on the road. We weren't supposed to play them. Not missing four games, playing extra games, lose to them. We lost to last game of the year. The ACC says Notre Dame and Clemson don't have to play. We could have done the same thing against LSU. Game meant nothing. It meant nothing to the uh, the SEC East. The SEC didn't say we're going to have Bama and A&M play the two highest ranked teams. They did it the integrity way. We lose to LSU. We get screwed for playing. We might be one of the four best teams in college, but because other teams and conferences pushed out, they're in the playoff. Why are they in the playoff? Because it's fucking Ohio State. It's fucking Notre Dame. They are tremendous fan bases, get tremendous ratings. And who gives a shit who honestly, any sense of integrity is out there. It is all fucking bullshit. And all it is is just a money grab for these things. And it sucks it, you know, I'm 48 years old and realizing, you know, when it hits you in the face that there is no decency, it's like, I love my Gators more than everything, but fuck everybody else. You know, they think I'm watching one second of that WWF style sham of a horseshit bullshit tournament that they have so they can crown some mythical champion because they decided those four fucking teams are going to be there back in August. Have a good time. Play the same fucking 30 commercials for ESPN. Put your Dancing with the Stars fucking commercials on all night. Play a million thousand billion times. Talk about it on Good Morning Fucking America all you want. You're not catching me watching that nonsense. So the bottom line, I don't even know what this has to do with anything you started to talk about to get me set off. I was going to keep myself calm, but I had to get that off my chest. And I apologize to all the Just Giant fans who give one rat's ass, but it had to be said. We now return you to your regularly programming, scheduled programming. Thank you. So uh, to, to sum it up, the, the Heisman and Pro Bowl, it, they're just beauty pageants. You know, I, I, There are guys who, who come out of nowhere and they, they earn Pro Bowl things like Victor Cruz is an example. I'm sure there's others. I just pulled that one out of my ass. But you know, those guys, they come in. They earn it. You know, they, they were nobodies. But I mean there are so many times we see guys win a Pro Bowl vote based on past performance. You know what I mean? Of course. They're, they're yeah. career pro bowlers. They didn't have a good year. We've seen guys who were just injured. I mean, there was a year where Peyton Manning was out and he almost won MVP because he was out and the Colts stunk. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's just... It's not just it's not just awards. Again, it goes even like to announcers. You know, but We were blowing Jason Witten the other day and they're like, oh, look at this. He completely whiffed this block. When they were just talking about he's still a great blocker. And then like five minutes later, he completely whiffed. And they're like, yeah, he kind of missed that one, didn't he? It's like, 
you had your nose so far up his ass, you probably couldn't see it. Um, this will have implications on whether or not he's re-signed. Uh, you know, I, I, it's up in the air. You know, I, next year is a big year. This was a big year for him. It didn't really go well for him, even if the next two games are outstanding for him. Um, next year is his final year. I, I I know some Giants fans are like, he's gone. There's no way. I, we already we already dished out the uh, contract extension, so I think he's here personally. I'll be pretty surprised if he, oh, if he oh, goes. Oh, next and, year? Next year? Yeah. I think, you know, if uh, – I think we will listen to offers, and I think if, if something overwhelms us, oh, we will sure. take it. If but, it's not overwhelming, we won't. And it's, I said I said this I said this a couple of weeks ago that uh, there's a chance that we, he I think he's here next year, but that shouldn't stop us from drafting a tight end to replace him. And I mentioned Kyle Pitts, and then I think you oh, your eyes rolled pants. in the back. Yeah, I think your eyes rolled back, and you weren't listening anymore. Well, he's not going to make it. He won't. He won't make it. He won't make it to our draft pick. He might be a top six or seven pick. Well, well there's still a lot of time. He could he could screw up a combine. You know. A lot of things can happen, you know. I, I don't know, um, but yeah. So um, the bottom line with the bottom line with Evan Ingram is he does not make the offense worse. He makes the offense better. He's inconsistent and he's inconsistent at the wrong time, and he's very frustrating. But he overall makes this offense better. He is the best receiving option this team has, and I think it's pretty clear he is. It's just. You know, for the investment of how much he's gonna think he's gonna get, that's a that's a he's gone. But I, especially if Dave Gettleman is here, he doesn't fit the Dave Gettleman tight end model. Whether he's athletic or not, whether he catches or not, he doesn't fit that model. And Dave Gettleman's not one who's going to throw big money at people that that just don't. He's not filling a gap anymore. You know what I mean? This isn't this isn't bringing in Golden Tate because we lost Odell Beckham and we need somebody at receiver for a couple of years. This isn't this isn't bringing in Leonard. But you know you know what I mean? This isn't bringing. So this is retaining now. This is this, you've this earned a spot business, to stay. This yeah. was a smart business decision to lock up an asset for another year, cost controlling it, so you can you can play me or trade me. You know you can. It's a lease with an option to buy, and that's smart. Because yes, yes. The, wor- the worst case scenario is you can get another year out of the guy. It, okay, they locked him up. It's not a, uh, it's not a, a small number, but it's relatively inexpensive based on what he thinks he's going to get in the it's year. Le- after. It's less than he's going to get, and barring an injury, like a big ACL tear or something. It's it's less than he's going to get in two years. Right. Sure. It's still under it's still under market value. So you make the deal. The goal is you want to get as many guys under market value on your roster as possible, so you can afford to. You know, not always have to be shopping in the bargain bin. Maybe you can go for top shelf. So it every move is always a piece of a bigger puzzle. Always look at it that way. It's not, well, this guy. It's like, well, how does that fit into everything? And how are we allocating our assets? And that that's a no-brainer move to do what they did at this time. Because if you don't, you get nothing for him. And he's not something you give away. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what this episode ended up being, but um, basically, basically, this game was a stinker. But there's no need it, to talk about the game itself. Well, I mean, honestly, yes, this this game was not. Basically, this whole episode is this game was not a referendum on anything that has to do with this year. It is an outlier. It was a failure that was predetermined. You know, any success that came from this would have been probably that even even that probably would have been more miracle than it was good coaching or good playing or anything like that. So. You know, 
it's it's try not and a, take a step back and understand that before you go off the handle, which I know we're a day late and a dollar short with that. So. It's not a referendum on anything, but it's it, it should be a wake up call in a level setting of what your expectations should be. Not only yes. for <laughs> not not only for playoff and wild card or playoff hopes, but you know where this team is now heading as a in the direction it is and where it is at this moment with key people out you know you can't have the same measuring stick and look through the same you know giant colored glasses regardless of who's playing and who's not playing who's coaching and not coaching all these different things you have to you have to recalibrate what your expectations are based on the situation and i think people still had the same uh expectation as they did right after the Seattle game. Never mind, different team on the field two weeks later, different situation. And I think going forward, think about where this team is, where they should be, and that way. And don't worry about you know pipe dreams of other stuff and thinking this team is better than it is, because it's not. The only thing we're looking for is making sure it's still on the right track. And I think I speak for Grump, where we think is still on the right track. Yes. We'll tell yeah. you when it's not, believe me. Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to dash all of that by saying, um, that's it for this episode. This, this, uh, this Friday, there will be an episode previewing the one o'clock game at Baltimore in Baltimore against the nine and five Ravens who haven't looked very nine, nine and five lately. And, you know, Really, what we're looking back for is is what this team should be looking like against a good a good team. You know, hopefully we have Daniel Jones back and, and pretty healthy. We should have James Bradbury. I think he's he was activated off the COVID list. I think today, which it was just simply a league rule timeline thing that made him inactive for for last night's game. Um, you know, thing Jason Jason Garrett probably hopefully should be back to doing what he does. Um, can I, can I just say one more thing too? As you know, you're listening to this show on a Tuesday morning, and I don't know how the end of this uh, Cincinnati uh, Pittsburgh game is going to end. But don't all of a sudden make the, the straight line comparison of look at Cincinnati with a backup quarterback beating uh, Pittsburgh, who was 11 and two going into this game, because that situation is 100 percent different than all other 31 situations in the league. So. You, we have to learn the fan base. The comparisons have to be inward and not against other things because it's not fair to your team or their team or anything. So, and this is a fucked up year where just crazy shit happens too. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah, and you know, not not to not to pour water over your expectations and and, and build you back up, but a win. If the Giants win the next two games, there's a strong chance. Of winning the division, um, and if my sister had nuts, she would be my brother. It's true. They're it's, both, but 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 they're, they're both facts. <laughs> look, it's it's a simple thing. Take it one game at a time. Forget the playoffs. The playoffs are not relevant to what you should be looking for at this team. 
You know, they could they could win these next two games by a complete fluke, in, you know, and, and back into the playoffs. But if they play like garbage and they look like garbage, then they're not a very good team and they haven't made a very big leap. They should not be your standard for success or But if they look magical and they, they win both games, but Washington wins both games and gets one game on them, wins a division, and they go to the playoffs, that doesn't mean that, they are, that the Giants are in a bad place either. So these things are separate. Take the playoffs for entertainment. If it happens, that's awesome. Congratulations. Let's watch that. Let's get excited for it. But if it doesn't happen, forget it. Let's watch this Giants-Ravens game on Sunday at 1 o'clock. We'll preview that game Friday morning. Uh, we will have our that's, – that's Christmas morning. Holy shit. No, it's not. Is it? Yes, it is. Friday morning. Fuck. Is maybe it? we won't do it then. What do you think? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a very, very good chance that uh, – well, I am starting my big road trip across – the Eastern seaboard uh, tomorrow night. So my availability for the next week will is in question how we're going to do this. We'll figure it out, but it may, it may be a grump only episode preview episode. I don't know yet. We'll figure that out, but there will be an episode. (laughs) We'll have something. I may be calling from the road, but uh, there'll be something. Yeah. But there will be a preview episode at some point to find out. Follow me on Twitter (laughs) at football underscore grump where I will bump the next episode. If, if if you're not super fucking pissed off at me for going off the rails, you can follow me at the Cranky Fan, where I just gave you a taste of how fucking annoyed I've been the last couple of days. <laughs> and as always, this shit show is on iTunes, SoundCloud, <laughs> Google Play, Spotify, you name it. It's there. Please subscribe and and uh, give us a nice review. It it really does mean a lot to us. Every every single one. Um, yeah, we appreciate the listens seriously. Uh, for, but for guys like Dan Iserman, who says the best Giants pod and gave us five stars, well, now you're talking. Thanks, Dan. If we had, if we had any gifts, we give them to you. Yeah. Uh, Bob's pools, my guys, five stars. Well, <laughs> swimming in your pool anytime now. Carlu Carlay, great Giants podcast, five stars. We we really do appreciate this. It's awesome. And, and I, I think I think Frank the Tank has been our our longest running fan now. I just wanted to say his name. He's yeah, Frank the Tank. I think when twenty twenty one comes along, I think we're gonna have to drag you to a game with us. We'll have, or at least get you drunk in the Jameson room with us before. I mean, sounds like a threat. Yeah, I'm just sorry, man. Maybe that's a bad thing, but uh, yeah, we we love you guys. You know, we interact with a lot of you people. We don't. We just do this for fun. You know, obviously because no sponsor would touch us. I think we're worth it, but um, it, this is our outlet so we don't piss off our wives and girlfriends, and we have a lot of fun doing it, and uh, we, we're happy that uh, – I saw something actually, Grump, that we're the 13th best giant podcast out there. Yeah. You other 12 <laughs> better watch out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. So thank you for making us the 13th best Giants podcast. We're hoping in the next uh, – by. Oh, by the time Gettleman retires, that we at least crack the top ten. That's, yeah, that's there our, we go. That, that's our yeah. goal. That's our rebuild process. Nice work. All right, everyone. We will see you soon. Not sure when. And Merry uh, Christmas, everybody. Yes. And, uh, we, we Happy really- holidays to all of you out there. That's right. And uh, as always, go Giants. Giants. Giants.